Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Welcome to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend as we continue waiting to see if indeed Major League Baseball will be played this season. Rumblings this week about meetings between Major League Baseball and the Players Association as they try and get things ironed out very importantly first from a health standpoint and then also from a finances standpoint. But uh, nothing new to report at this time as the week is uh, nearing its end, but it does seem as if uh, there are substantive talks taking place as they try and figure things out. The The dates you hear, and again, it is all predicated on what's going on with the, the COVID-19, is uh, mid-June for spring training, perhaps, and then an early July start with no fans in home ballparks. But again, that's uh, merely speculation and uh, some things that, that we've heard and uh, we'll see if indeed that takes place. But a lot of things have to fall into place first from a health standpoint and a finances standpoint before that can happen. Good show lined up for you today. Coming up in the second half of the show, we will have part two of an interview with uh, former Tribe catcher and two-time All-Star Ray Fossey, who had a fine career with the Indians and uh, has gone on to an outstanding career in the broadcast booth with the Oakland Athletics. And we'll focus in this week on 1970 and a memorable all-star game in which uh, Ray Fossey and Pete Rose were squarely involved in a key moment in that game and a career-changing moment for Ray Fossey. But coming up after our short break, we'll visit with Indians, former Indians closer, we should say, Cody Allen. He's going to stop by and share some of his memories on the Indians' 22-game win streak back in 2017. That's coming up as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. We could be here a while, folks. Allen, 
Into the motion. Here's the 2-2 pitch. Strike three call. Fastball got him looking. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you this week talking baseball. And our first guest on this week's show is the Indians' all-time saves leader, Cody Allen. What a career he has had with the Tribe as it spanned from the 2012 campaign on through the World Series year of 2016 and then the 22-game streak year of 2017. Last season, a tough one for Allen as he signed as a free agent with the Angels but had some back issues and was really struggling to, to be himself on the mound and uh, be able to perform in those key spots. But uh, this year went to camp with Texas and hoping to be a part of that team when we do play baseball. We caught up with Cody recently to talk about the 22-game win streak for the Indians. It's uh, something that we've been sharing with fans on a regular basis in the evenings, replaying each game from the 22-game win streak on the Indians radio network as well as Indians.com. And uh, Cody obviously was a big part of it. Six saves during the streak. He appeared in 11 games and did not allow a single run during the streak. And when we caught up with him recently and he shared his thoughts on a remarkable stretch of play for the Indians. I would say the one thing that probably stands out more than anything from the streak, you know, obviously winning 22 in a row, um, you know, it, it's just, you know, the, the idea of getting to the ballpark and playing another game uh, during a stretch like that is very exciting. But just how good our team was at getting ready for the next game. And, you know, because obviously to win 22 in a row, a lot of guys have to be playing well individually. And so it's easy to kind of get caught up in in how you're doing and uh, kind of lose sight of getting prepared for the next game. And I felt like we had so many guys, pretty much everybody was just clicking on all cylinders, but they understood that they had to prepare for the next day and go compete. And that was one thing that that club had was the ability to just turn the page and get ready for the next day. And I think that's the only way that you're able to win that many games in a row. And you look at reasons for that. Obviously, the team had great success the year before in 2016. And you have a manager who's been down that road. Are those some of the things that maybe combined to to create that atmosphere? Absolutely. I think Tito Tito's message all along, and I think it really started being adapted the year before, but was really just trying to focus on the process. And I think for a couple of years before 2016, we had a lot of guys uh, that had all played together for a long time. And we were really trying to refine that process and figure out what that meant. And I think, you know, with some veteran leadership that got brought in in 2016 with guys like Mike Napoli and Juan Uribe, and then just some individual growth uh, from other guys, I think we really started to figure out what that meant. And, you know, so in 2016, you know, we won the, the 14 games in a row and then we went on and uh, we, we got deep into the postseason and and, uh, and and we grew a lot as a club. And then in 17, you know, we kind of had almost the same exact club. And I think we really, really knew what it meant to have a really, really good process and just really focus on the process of getting ready to play, of getting ready to go compete as a ball club, not... Uh, focusing on, you know, kind of the results of the previous day or even what's going on in game, but you're just trying to focus on the the process that you have individually and you have as a club to just try and go win a baseball game. And we got really, really good at that for those couple of years. And that all stemmed from, from Tito and some of that veteran leadership uh, kind of helping that 
core of players that had been there a while kind of refine that and, and figure out what that really meant. And it's interesting because the the first half of that season was was just okay. In fact, um, there was a stretch just after the All Star break where the team was only three games over five hundred. Obviously, played unbelievable baseball the rest of the way to to finish with more than a hundred wins. What do you think the difference was first half, second half of, of that season? You know what? That's a good question. And I, you know, most of the, the 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 good teams that we had there, uh, we were never really. You know, we never came out of the gate just really hot. You know, we were always just kind of ho-hum, you know, especially through April and even into mid-May. Uh, and it was funny, the conversations that we would have as a team in 17, where, you know, there was there was definitely urgency there. Even though we weren't playing particularly well, there was a lot of urgency to kind of get going because we had always said, and I remember the conversations we'd have in 17 was, we can't bank on winning 14 games in a row like we did last year. We just can't bank on doing that. So we got to learn how to just, win series and keep going, then, you know, we go and win 22 in a row. So, you know, kind of proved all of ourselves wrong in that aspect. Um, but, yeah, we, we I think that was just kind of the staple of some of Tito's teams there those years is we we were just a second-half club. And I think that's a big hats off, too, to the starting rotation that we had and the horses that, that we had with those teams. Because if you look around baseball, the, the, the teams that have the horses – they can turn it on in the second half. Pitching kind of takes over, and those guys that, that built up the, those five spots in the rotation, they, those guys were all horses, and they, they would carry us through those later months of the season. Former Indians closer Cody Allen joining us. Still the uh, Tribe's franchise career leader in saves, 149 saves in an Indians uniform, and six of those came during the streak. So let's get, get to the specifics of the streak. You appeared in half the games, 11 of the 22, but it, it never seemed like the bullpen was particularly stressed during that streak to, to try and go chase wins to, to keep a streak going. Did you feel that way? Absolutely. You know, and it was kind of the same way the year before when we won 14 in a row where, uh, like I said, the, those guys in the rotation, they just, they're horses. You know, they were giving you seven a night, and then when you got a lineup that, that had the bats that we had, you can get a lot of separation early and the bullpen can almost kind of shut it down a little bit. Uh, but our starting rotation, those guys, they went out there every single day and they just pitched outstanding baseball. And so you took all the pressure off the bullpen. Um, and so when, when there were games during the streak or even in the later uh, latter half of the season going into the playoff, the, the guys down there in the bullpen were, were pretty fresh and ready to go because the uh, the starting rotation had definitely picked up the the bulk of the workload. In looking back at, at the last two games, you were involved in both, and we'll get to the win number 22 and its dramatics in a moment, but uh, the day before, win number 21 to surpass Oakland as the American League uh, record holder for win streaks, uh, you get the save, and if I remember correctly, it was a Thursday afternoon against the Tigers and a really good crowd for a midweek day game. I think people were really jumping on board. Do you remember much about that game, or is it really all all on that last one? You know, some of it's kind of a blur, but uh, I do remember Lonnie Chisholm making a diving catch to end the game. Um, but I, but the one thing I do remember is it, it didn't matter who was catching at that time, whether it be Roberto or, or Jan. Uh, it just seemed like we were all so fluid, and it just – it just seemed to gel really, really well. Uh, and we were always on the same page. 
And I guess that's kind of what happens when, when things are going really, really well. You, you just kind of go out there and play baseball. You forget about every, all the noise and you forget about, you know, everything you're working on or stuff that's going on at home. You just, you just kind of go out there and you play the game. And, um, and we watched some outstanding baseball played for, I mean, over a month. And, um, and yeah, but the one thing I do remember is, is, is Lonnie sliding and, and catching that ball. And normally at the end of the game, you know, the closer gets the ball, but, uh, I think Lonnie stuck that one in his back pocket. <laughs> so, so that, that ends win number 21 and, and you come back the next night and you get the win. You were on the mound in the top half of the 10th inning after dramatics in the bottom half of the ninth inning to keep it going, uh, Tell us about what you were, were keying in on in the ninth inning with the Indians trailing and if you really thought that you'd have an opportunity to get out there at some point. Well, I knew, you know, obviously you won that many games in a row. You're going to come behind some. Obviously not all in the ninth inning or whatever, but you're going to come back in the later innings and take the lead. But uh, I do remember, you know, Kelvin Herrera was throwing the ball incredibly well for Kansas City at that time. But I knew we had the right guys coming up. And if we could just get some get somebody on base, uh, you know, it just seemed like something was going to happen. And then sure enough, you know, you got a guy like Frankie Lindor at the plate. You know, that's that's the guy you want up there. And he, he I mean, he got a pretty good pitch to hit and he didn't miss it. And um, and the, the, I'd say another staple of, uh, of good Terry Francona baseball teams is, is guys run the bases extremely well. And uh, if I remember correctly, it was Eric Gonzalez who scored the tying run. Or the the tying run in the ninth. I think it was Gonzo. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Gonzo, and I'm sure. I mean, he was he was off to the races, and and so you know, it's just watching that, and then you know, a guy like Jose Ramirez coming up in the tenth, and you know, gets a base hit to center field, and he doesn't rest on it. I mean, he's thinking two out of the box, and kind of catches Lorenzo Cain off guard, and it was just a straight hustle play, super gutsy play. And it paid off. Um, and then the, the acquisition of Jay Bruce, uh, super pro, great player. Um, you know, just as soon as, as soon as Hosey got that hit, we knew we were going to win. Uh, I'd say we knew we were going to win once Frankie tied it up in the ninth. But uh, one thing I do remember about the ninth inning is uh, hanging a breaking ball to Brandon Moss, uh, who, you know, I've got a, a decent relationship with. And, he just missed it, and Naquin caught it right in front of the fence. And I just remember thinking to myself, "There is no way that I'm going to let this thing. I'm going to blow this thing." So after he popped that one up, I think I spiked the next four breaking balls in the dirt. <laughs> so you mentioned that, and gosh, the year before, you're in the biggest games you could possibly be in. You have the Oops. wonderful, the wonderful run in the postseason, and, and I'm sure uh, that can't be topped. But what kind of pressure did you feel in that last inning of this game with, with this unbelievable streak going on, and and you're trying to make sure it stays tied at that point? Well, I, I think in those moments you don't really get caught up in the in the pressure of it until maybe you allow yourself to. And so obviously when when Brandon hit that ball, you know, 407 feet, you know, to center field, um, you know, you're, you're not in a pressure spot until maybe the ball comes off the bat and then you're, you're just praying that the ball doesn't go out. And so, but after that, you know, you're, you're back to playing baseball, but that's one of the, that was just one of the things that, that kind of stuck out to me in that moment of, you know, it's you know, kind of the game of inches type thing, right. You know, if, if, he, if he hits that ball a little bit closer to the sweet spot, you know, that thing's in, in heritage park, but, um, 
you know, going back to the pressure stuff, I mean, it was just one of those things where every time you stepped on the field, you knew you were out there with the whole team. You know, you, you weren't it, you weren't out there by yourself and you guys were going to figure out a way to do it as a club and do it together. And, and so that that kind of took all of the pressure off of each pitch. And in your spot as a late-inning relief guy, uh, you may have been done after the 10th if the game kept going. You might have been been brought out. Uh, what was the situation for you? Were you done, and, and was there a thought of going up into the clubhouse, or did you hang out in the in the dugout for the end? You know what? I think I, I can't really recall, but I think I was done, um, you know, because I'm pretty sure whoever started that game, uh, they went deep, and we had a pretty fresh pen. Uh, so I think I was done. But I do remember I was in the dugout uh, when when Jay hit the double to to end the game. But uh, if I do recall correctly, I believe I, I believe Tito and had, had uh, was bringing somebody else in. And Cody, just to to close, I, I don't know if, if guys would still talk about it three years later when they get together. But uh, certainly for for those three weeks, uh, what was the bond like in that clubhouse as things continue to to build and transpire, and, and all of a sudden you're you're approaching 20 wins and more. You know, in the moment, I don't think guys really, or at least me, I can only speak for myself, but I don't think you really felt like guys knew what was really going on. Uh, we just knew we were playing really good baseball. And we had won a lot of games. And because our ultimate goal wasn't to win uh, X amount of games in a row, it was to, to punch our ticket to the playoffs and go win a World Series. And, and ultimately, we fell short of that goal. But um, I think just staying in the moment and focusing on, our, on the process at hand and, and getting ready for the next day, um, you know, we kind of looked back and we were like, oh, you know, after it was done and even after the season going to the next season, we kind of looked back and we're like, dang, that was, that was a pretty cool moment. That was something that, that was pretty special. And, um, you know, I think it took some time away from the game to kind of realize the, the gravity of what had just happened. And his former Indians closer, Cody Allen, always fun to talk to, and certainly uh, you wish him the best of luck with the Texas Rangers now as he tries to keep his career going after a tough season a year ago. Stay with us. When we return, we'll hear from Ray Fossey, one of the uh, Tribe greats back in the day in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. He'll be our guest next as Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, continues on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse back with you, and we're joined now by Ray Fossey, one of the uh, outstanding catchers for the Indians back in the late 60s, early 70s, and really his breakthrough season was that 1970 season. And this is uh, part two of a two-part conversation with uh, Ray. Is uh, Boy, we went long on this one, but it was a lot of fun as he filled us in on some great stories from his time with the Tribe. And 1970 was an outstanding season for Ray Fossey. He started that year in a platoon role, but as he'll explain, it didn't take long to establish himself and suddenly become an all-star in 1970. 
Well, if I can if I can go back towards the beginning, as I mentioned, I started the season on April 7th. Duke Sims and I were platooning. Duke was a left-handed hitter. And Hoot Evers, who was a hitting coach, uh, it was um, we had faced we we're facing the White Sox, and I had faced uh, I think it was Tommy John, and Joe Horland was pitching the next day. So Joe Horland being a right-handed pitcher, Tommy John a lefty. I faced the lefty. I was out taking early batting practice with the extras, and Hoot Evers went back in to tell Alvin Dark. He says, "You know, Ray's swinging the bat pretty well. Why don't you start him?" So essentially, I started playing every day, and I was catching double headers. Matter of fact, I caught a doubleheader on that Sunday before we went down to Cincinnati, uh, Sam McDowell and I. But, Rosie, you know, it was a special first half for me. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. My career did nothing. That first half of 1970 was special for me. I, I got an Army Reserve unit. Uh, I did my time uh, every weekend. I, I, I did my time during the week, and I'd go to the park, and, and I'd get a standing ovation because I didn't start a game on a Saturday or Sunday when I was doing my military time. So, But when I – run from the dugout to the bullpen during the game, I get a standing ovation from the fans. I mean, the fans were tremendous during that period of time. And then I ended up having a 23-game hitting streak. And, Rosie, we were in New York, and Mike Paul was pitching as a doubleheader in second game. And this explosion had occurred between home plate and first base, and Elston Howard was coaching first. I didn't think anything about it, except it was a very loud explosion. But in the second game, and because it was a second game, a bunt situation, I was standing up. Thank God I was because a cherry bomb, ill matey, something was thrown from the mezzanine section of Yankee Stadium and it landed at the arch of my left foot and it blew me about three feet in the air. So that explosion that I heard, I experienced it firsthand when it exploded my foot. I went in the air and my foot was burning. Uh, Wally Bach was our trainer, came out. I took off my, my shoe, my double sanitaries and all this stuff. And I had this fire in my arch of my left foot. And there was, a, it was this fire, like a size of a dime, just burning. Well, I put Sam on it. I stayed in the game. And Bobby Mercer was playing center field. And at the time, I had a 16-game hitting streak. And I hit a ball to center field. Bobby broke back and then broke in too late. And the ball dropped in front of him. And I looked out at him. And I was thinking, I don't know if you were sympathetic with what happened to me at home plate. But thank you very much because I kept my hitting streak alive and I ended up hitting in 23 consecutive games. But, you know, to, to be a part of the all-star team, uh, Rosie, and I, 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 I have the video. Uh, it was narrated, I think, by Kurt Gowdy. And the, the, the way they introduced the players, it wasn't just everybody on the, the foul line introducing them. Leading off for the American League, Luis Aparicio playing shortstop. And they did highlights of him. And then Brooks Robinson, third base. Rosie, I counted the number of Hall of Famers in that game had to be close to 20 of 60 players. So a third of the players ultimately are ended up being in the Hall of Fame. I'm sitting on the bench, and I remember Brooks Robinson and Harmon Killebrew and, and Jim Harmon. These, these guys were sitting up on the oh, well, just another game. I'm running up and down the dugout like a kid at the candy store. I'm so excited. It was about 120 degrees in Cincinnati on the artificial surface. But, you know, to get a chance to get in the game and uh, – Got a hit off Gaylord Perry down the right field line. Uh, hit a sack fly. Got to face Bob Gibson. And I, again, I'm just. But Rosie, the one thing I did that I made a mistake that I learned for the rest of my career. Dick Dietz came up to the plate, and we had a four to one lead in the ninth inning. And Dick Dietz came up to lead off the inning. I, his nickname was Mule. I say, Hey Mule, I'll see you next spring because we train in Arizona. He and Sam Phoenix, and I was in Mesa. He hits a home run. Next thing I know, I'm going back up to hit, and it's four to four. And Dick Dietz said, 
how you doing, Ray? And I said, I'd never say that again because, I mean, all of a sudden, three runs the ninth inning, they tie the game, ends up going to the 12th inning, and, um, you know, the collision occurred. But the misconception, Rosie, the, the, the real misconception is that, yes, Sam McDowell, Sam's wife, Carol, my wife, Carol, and I flew to Cincinnati on Sunday. Uh, it's not like it is now where they have all the celebrations and, you know, parties and all those things. We had the workout on Monday. And it was so hot on that artificial surface. Guys were dancing around. And, you know, the temperature was just, just unbelievably hot. I'm glad the game on Tuesday was a night game. We got back to the hotel. And Sam Bingdow knew Pete Rose. And we were in the lobby of the hotel. Sam saw Pete. And Pete said, hey, what are you guys doing for dinner? We said nothing. So the six of us, and ironically, it was Pete Rose and Carolyn Rose, Carol McDowell, Sam McDowell, Carol Fossey, Ray Fossey. We all go to dinner. And Pete said, well, we're finished. You want to come to our house? So we ended up going to his house. And he keeps talking about, well, Ray wanted to talk about his Johnny Bench. Well, yeah, because we didn't have interleague play. Johnny was with Cincinnati. I was with Cleveland. You know, uh, we, we played that exhibition game once a year, and might seem. But, you know, it was sure. I was interested in Johnny Bench as another catcher. The play happened. And then all of a sudden, all these stories come about that it was Pete and I out to, as he said, we were out to 4 o'clock in the morning having a great time. I go, we weren't. What are you talking about? We were with our wives. And and I got to back to the hotel one o'clock. It was a night game. So it's it's not like, you know, it was four or five in the morning and getting at daybreak. But, you know, it, it's just unfortunate that, yes, the play happened. It's probably going to be remembered as as a play for the forever. But I just didn't like the fact that uh, there were there have been a lot of things that have been said in the last 50 years that have been untrue. And uh, that that probably disappointed me the most to the point that our daughters, Nikki and Lindsay, um, who have wonderful children, our grandchildren, said, why don't you and mom write a, a story about the way it was and put it on a website? So we did that, put it on rayfossey.com. And if people want to read it and see exactly and hear or read about what happened, they can read that. I'm not pushed on the site, but bottom line. I just got tired of so many people saying, well, he said this and you're saying this. And I said, well, I know exactly what happened. And this is what happened the way it was. And uh, like I said, Rosie, it's, it's something that people are going to talk about. Uh, players that I see now that are broadcast with the A's, um, they'll come up to me, have no idea who I am, which is fine with me. I say, I'm one of the broadcasters. Then all of a sudden, I say, you're the guy. I went, what do you mean? He said, you're the guy that the guy ran over. You know, so. It's it's come full circle, but 50 years ago, it's when it happened on July 14th, and coincidentally, this year's All-Star game was scheduled to play be played on July 14th. How about that? Did did you and Pete ever have a chance to to talk it through at all later in your career? Rosie, the next year, coincidentally, I, I played with a fraction and separated children, and the late Jimmy Warfield, we miss him so, so much because, I mean, first of all, great worker but a great person as well. And unfortunately lost him way, way too soon. But Jimmy Warfield, I, I, I didn't miss a game. Uh, Wally Bach actually was a trainer that year, as I mentioned, and then Jimmy came in 71, but I continue to play. I, I matter of fact, was a starting catcher in, in Kansas city in the all-star game on a Tuesday, Thursday, I played. So the next year we're having an exhibition game where we always had, you know, the, you, know, you guys still do it with, uh, with Cincinnati. You still we play that not. annual. Yeah, okay, we well, at, okay, at that time, it was playing Cincinnati, which I got a chance to play at Crosley Field, um, Riverfront, and now Great American Ballpark. So I've seen all three there. But we're playing this particular year, 1971, in Cleveland. And I was in the outfield, and Pete was running. 
And Jose, the words that he said, I'll never forget. He said, how come you're off to a slow start? Well, he didn't know, but I just had my shoulder re-x-rayed and found out that I'd been playing with a fractured separated shoulder uh, stupidly because, you know, at that time, if the bone wasn't sticking out, you didn't, you know, hey, you're fine, play. Don't worry about it. And um, But I couldn't lift my, my arm above my head. And as I sit here talking to you right now, my left shoulder is excruciating pain because over the years with arthritis and bone on bone, uh, it hurts. So, you know, but so does the rest of my body. So that's part of it. But that, those were the only words. I did have a chance to see him briefly uh, when Buddy Bell was playing for Cincinnati. And I went to see Buddy after I had retired and I uh, saw him. And, you know, I saw Pete, but no conversation about it. Although he, he did sign a baseball. I said, can you at least sign a baseball for me? And he said, to Ray, thanks for making me famous. Pete Roach. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's it. And, and so in all these years, um, you know, it, it's just been too much of uh, untruths, if you will. I don't want to say anybody's lying, but the untruths and, you know, facts are facts. And, and, and again, even though all these years later, um, I know exactly what happened, as I just explained. And Amos Otis threw the ball. You know, the funny story, uh, Rosie, Clyde Wright, who I see, and I'm sure you do, uh, when we go to Anaheim, play the Angels. And I said, I never knew what happened to the baseball. And Clyde said, I caught it. So what do you mean? Because he was the pitcher, gave up the hit to Jim Hickman, who hit it to center field, Amos Otis threw it. But the collision, I think the emphasis on the collision so much, I, I didn't pay attention. He said, if you watch the continuation of the play, you'll see me backing up, reaching down, and catching the ball in the air. And he's exactly right. He caught the ball. Now, I say that, Rosie, because – People, it's kind of the revisionist history. They say, well, you know, Pete Rose dislodged the ball from Ray Fonsi. I never touched the ball. As, as he was coming in, I was reaching for the ball. The impact of him hitting me knocked my catcher's mitt off my hand. The ball flew over my head. Clyde Wright was backing up and caught the ball. So I never touched it. And that's one of the things that upsets me, not necessarily from Pete, but just as people write the history, the story, the game, say, oh, you know, a violent collision and knocked the ball out of his glove. And I said, no, that's not true. At least call me. Ask me. I'll tell you the truth. Or if you just watch it, you can see the ball sailing over my head. But, um, you know, I've been a lot of years, and, and I'm just, again, very happy that my career started in Cleveland, and I'm still able to work. And, and like I said, the one thing I'll miss this year, if we don't make it to Cleveland, I'll miss coming back to downtown Cleveland because so many great things have happened to that wonderful city and uh, so much different than when I first showed up there in 1967. Pat Joyce's restaurant. I lived in that place and it was an Italian restaurant. I would eat late, late breakfast, early lunch and dinner and never left the restaurant. But <laughs> I, that was in, that was in 67 because, you know, there was nothing for me to do except stay in a hotel, go to the park. And that was it. But, uh, some great memories of uh, downtown Cleveland and, uh, Again, Rosie, I'll be honest with you. I just pull for the tribe all the time. Every time they're in postseason, I hope it's going to be the year because 1948 is a long, long time. And uh, there have been a couple of opportunities I thought were going to happen, especially in 16, like I mentioned. It didn't happen, but uh, it's going to happen. And I'll be very happy when it does, even though if I'm still working, which who knows what's going to be the result of this. I may not be. Who knows? But uh, I'll be very happy when the Indians finally do win a World Series. Yeah, there, there's so many scenarios out there of, of how the regular season would look, not many of which, uh, or at least the, the most recent ones, uh, we probably wouldn't see it during the regular season, but maybe postseason, who knows? 
Yeah, who knows about that? But, you know, I, I think in, in this, this conversation cannot, uh, I mean, just have to mention that, yes, it's a very, very tough situation, not only for this country, but for the world. And, you know, baseball, while it has been a nice recovery for a lot of unfortunate tragedies that have happened, um, even though it can come back and I think make people a lot of happy seeing live events because, you know, you're probably like me and people are seeing the replays, you know what happened, but seeing live events and, you know, once it does happen, which I believe it will, I think it's going to be great for the American people and, and worldwide people to be able to watch baseball. And however it does come back, it's going to come back in the right way. And I'm sure the commissioner, Rob Manfred, is going to make sure that, you know, CDC, everybody's going to make sure. And, and we cannot forget about the unfortunate people who have lost their lives during this tough time. But, uh, you know, I, I think we all want baseball to come back. And I think it will be, but it's going to have to be in the right circumstances. I don't like being sheltered in place, uh, but I think we're going to start seeing some cities, states, counties, whatever, opening up. There are still some devastated cities and areas and, uh, you know, maybe take a little longer. But, you know, I think it's going to happen. And uh, I think it's going to be good for all be able to watch either at the ballpark, watch on TV, watch the favorite teams and players play, uh, regardless of what sport it is. I think it's going to be very, very beneficial for America. Uh, it does seem like there is some positive news uh, coming more yeah. and more. So uh, hopefully that leads to something good. Ray Fossey, thanks so much for, for sharing some stories. We could probably go on another <laughs> another hour, um, <laughs> well, but time constraints. But, uh, hey, hopefully we'll see you at some point here down the road this season. Um, but thanks so much for coming by for a little while today. Well, absolutely, Rosie. And again, I, I live in the Bay Area with the Oakland A's, and Tony Bennett sings this great heart song, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. I just want to, uh, Indians fans to know that I left my heart there because I didn't want to be traded. You know, it worked out well for me. And by the way, Dwayne Kuyper and I, I think we're the only two players that played for the Cleveland Indians that said, we don't want to be traded. We were both traded to West Coast teams. We're both working and broadcasting, Kuyper for San Francisco and me for the A's. And so it worked out for us. But, uh, you know, I, it was a place I loved playing. and some great friends there. I uh, see the Grawls when I come in, Denny Grawl and his family always come in to, to watch baseball games and see them. And, you know, it's just great people in Cleveland. So I, I just want them to know that I didn't want to be traded. I was a playing at the, I was playing at the time. I had no choice. It wasn't a free agency. They let me go. But uh, I enjoyed my time there thoroughly, and I, I wish nothing but the best. You have a great manager in Terry Francona. I mean, what a tremendous person. And a great coaching staff and, and, and Brad Mills and Tyve Berkeley, on and on and on. Some great guys. And so just uh, continued success. It's going to happen. And when it does, I'll be very happy for you. All righty, Ray. Thanks so much. I appreciate the thoughts, and uh, we'll catch up with you real soon. All right, Rosie. Best to you. My best to Tom Hamilton. You guys are doing a great job. Boy, what a career on the field and in the broadcast booth for Ray Fossey. Some World Series titles under his belt, a couple of All-Star games, and fond memories of his time in Cleveland. Stay tuned. We'll be back with a final segment after this short break on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Ramirez, the winning run at second. Encarnacion, the runner at first. Still nobody out in a 2-2 game in the 10th. Bruce awaiting the 2-0 pitch. Here it comes. A swing and a drive to deep right, down the line, base hit, into the corner, around third, coming home, Ramirez. It's a game winner for Jay Bruce, and history marches on. 
Welcome back to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse back with you. And a couple of reminders, programming notes. You can hear our show each week on the Indians Radio Network, usually 5 o'clock Saturday afternoons, but check your local listings in uh, your area where your station and the time that your station airs the show. You can also check it out as a podcast. Download it wherever you download your favorite podcast or on Indians.com. They have all the archived editions there, too. And hopefully during the month of May, you've had a chance to check out the rebroadcasts of each game of the Indians' 22-game win streak back in 2017. We've been uh, playing those on the Indians Radio Network, participating stations, 7 p.m. each night. And if you're tuned to this podcast on a Saturday, game number 12 is coming up tonight, so hopefully you have a chance. Or, excuse me, game number 13 is coming up tonight. And uh, game number 14 that tied the franchise record, that'll come up tomorrow night. So hopefully you have a chance to tune into those. And also another podcast that we do surrounding that with some great interviews from various uh, players and coaches who are a part of that streak, including our guest today on Tribe Talk, Cody Allen. Uh, He's been a part of one of those. It's called The Streak, and you can download that wherever you download your favorite podcasts as well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, thanks to Brian Matze for all of his help in putting together our show each week. Until next week, when we join you again, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.